thought you said that the car was in the repair shop. It is. What are you trying to do? Well, what are you talking about? I thought you said the car was in the repair shop. Well, it was. What's it doing here? You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. Hey guys, it's Terry here. And I hope you enjoyed our conversation uh, about a ring-a-ding girl. Um, we still have no idea what the hell a ring-a-ding girl is or what a ring-a-ding fish is or whatever. Um, but hey, good news is if you were, if you were like, hey, you know that Earl Hamner? He's going places. Guess what? We got more Hamner here. So we're going to get into uh, season five, episode 14, You Drive. Um I, I you know, as you guys know, if you've been listening to the show with if, you know for any amount of time, um, I love myself some Earl Hamner Jr. That is a bold faced lie. I have been very conflicted with him as a writer, um, but we'll see how we feel about this episode. Um, I, I just uh, this one lands in a, in a really different spot for me that I like. Uh, I have to admit, I, I don't know, I don't know if I've ever uh, I've turned this many times on an episode. I'll just I'm gonna tease that. All right, man. Like I'm, I'm excited to hear what your exact uh, feelings are for this because we briefly talked about it, and I mean briefly, like what <laughs> you, what, you watch it? Yeah, I watch it. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, not even that. No, 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 Terry. Let's let's just peel the curtain back just a smidge. Uh, uh, we we uh, we we physically saw each other um, uh, this weekend at the the was it the Founders Day picnic? That's not where we saw each other. Um, <laughs> but you know, we we've all been like socially uh, like distant and being careful. So I had a small grouping of people over to my place. But yeah, I just clearly remember being in my kitchen drinking, uh, making food for us. And you're like, and you mentioned uh, this episode. And at that point, um, you know, I just I, I said f. I, I said f that episode is like I, I'll, I'll I'll censor myself here, and you laughed. And um, I will just say that like you know um, I was in the middle of cooking. I was in the middle of entertaining. I, I didn't want to think about you drive. It, ha- it has a better place. It ha- it has it deserves a better um, more well uh, thought out conversation than me drunkenly making wings and saying f that episode. So I'll just say that. Well, I guess it makes more sense to have just encapsulated it with f that episode instead of being like let's have this conversation now yeah. while the microphones are yeah. not even on I, yeah i moved i moved <laughs> i moved the fryer out of the kitchen and brought in the podcasting equipment and i was like all right let's have our conversation at the moment let's just do it you know everybody else was like the party's over you guys can leave you know just thank you for coming we have to talk about you drive now no that's that's not what happened um but yeah so that <laughs> so terry was probably like oh I wonder if he has strong feelings about this episode. 
I wonder. <laughs> I wonder. So, yeah, we'll get into it. It's going to this is going to be an interesting conversation. So, air date. Um, we are now into uh, 1964. It's uh, J- uh, January 3rd, 1964. Uh, we've now entered the last year um, in which the original Twilight Zone broadcast. It has been a journey. Um, so, number one song is There, I've Said It Again by Bobby Vinton. Uh, number one uh, film, Sword in the Stone, uh, would not be an episode of Strange Highways if we did not come up with some weird, uh, like, um, crash or like tragedy, right? So here we go. Here's your bingo card. Fill this out. Uh, so on the day this episode aired, a, um, it was a U.S. Air Force B-57 jet bomber narrowly missed crashing into Beaver Creek High School in Beaver Creek, Ohio, while school was in session with a thousand students in the building. And the wreckage came down a few feet away from that actual school. The pilot had safely ejected after the bomber exploded midair while en route to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton. I saw this story and I was like, dude, we have to talk about this. I didn't know if it was something that you were going to bring up or or what. But I'm like, dude, what is the deal about the 60s and like plane accidents and, uh, you know, giant ships going missing? Like there was one I was going to bring up uh, like a few episodes ago. The ship just disappeared. They couldn't find it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think part of it is that um, it's, it's with Wikipedia. If people want to add stuff, so like um, the way that the news cycle moved then, like this. Not that this wasn't a big story because it would be a big story now, right? Like, no, like no kidding. But I think that certain things, like in terms of like uh, mishaps and uh, tragedies with like you know um, vehicles and technology. They still happen. It's just that this one is like, you know, it's on, it's on, you know, on friendly territory near a school, right? Like if you ever want to go down a, like a, like a, like a deep dive, um, you should look up the history of, uh, dirigibles, like, like blimp accidents. There is some really interesting and funny and tragic shit that happens with mankind being all like, you know, it'd be cool if we fill up like a large gas bag with potentially flammable gas and just kind of hope for the best. Yeah, I guess I guess that's a, a fair statement. Hope for the best because <laughs> you know the Hindenburg. <laughs> well, yeah, that was one of them. But there was also there was there was there was two um, two uh, airships that were actually out of Ohio. I forget what they're called now. One was like anchored on the East Coast. One was on the West Coast, and they both they were sister ships of each other, and they both like like had horrible things happen to them. And it's like, you know, like other than like providing aerial footage of like football games or advertising like uh, tires or pizza, I think we, I think we're good with blimps now. I don't think we need them for anything else. No, I don't think so. But, but a B-57, the- like a jet bomber, like, man, like if you're one of those kids in that school, you're never going to be right again. You know? The hell no. Hell no. <laughs> I mean, they said how close it was to I'm like, that could have killed like they said, a thousand students or whatever. Yeah, it's like, it would have been would've horrible. Been terrible. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I guess to bring some lightheartedness to, to the, to the, uh, day and event, um, I see here that millions of Americans got their first view of the Beatles and heard their new song. She loves you. Uh, as they watched the film footage on the Jack Pierre show or prepare show, uh, program. So like, I like how we can see the timing of not only the events of JFK getting assassinated, but, 
the lightheartedness of the Beatles, the, the British invasion coming. So, I mean, yeah. Picking I mean, do you that. think that the kids in the school in uh, Beaver Creek, Ohio are like, we're just crazy about the Beatles. It's like, what's that sound? You know, like anyway. Um, so yeah, I was going to mention the Beatles thing. Uh, the only reason I didn't is because uh, spoiler, as we go through like the, the middle third and into the last part of season five, when we get to day and date, um, unsurprisingly, we're going to run into a wall of Beatles songs like week by week. They have like three number ones in a row. So we're going to be talking about the Beatles a lot just a heads up. But yeah, this is where it starts. You're, you're right to bring it up, but that's why I didn't bring it up because we're going to be talking the Beatles a lot. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm no, no, you don't have to apologize. It's just, it's, it's the, it's the mid sixties. Of course the, like the British invasion, the Beatles are going to show up, right? Like, uh, in the British invasion, which I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, they brought some, like they were, they were the big band. Right. But there was other cool, cool stuff that came across over as well. That was also British that, uh, like, I want to say, um, Oh, what else was came over? I, I just, the my stones, mind's blanking. Uh, well, the, the stone, yeah, birds. the stones, the birds. Yeah. I was thinking more like the, the initial like poppy, like rock stuff that came over as well. Like hermits, hermits, you know, like whatever. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of fun stuff that's coming. Um, the honeycombs, uh, the song "Have I the Right"? If you guys don't know that song, look it up. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, we could probably even do a whole podcast about '60s music and the influence that it had on the rest of uh, rock and roll and that. But yeah, we'll save that for another time. <laughs> yeah, I mean that would be um, that would definitely be a um, you know <laughs> a detour. But yeah, so so now to bring it back to sadness. <laughs> I'm laughing. I, I just, I should not laugh because Segway. this is terrible. This is terrible. Uh, the day after this episode aired, uh, Mary Sullivan, a 19 year old uh, clerk at a finance company in Boston became the 13th and last victim of the Boston strangler. Uh, her two roommates found her after they returned uh, from work on their apartment on uh, was Beacon Hill in Boston. Um, I'm not going to get into the details of what happened because you know it's obviously some it was a serial uh, rapist or murderer, but just like think about like that like level of brutality and fear running through the city after um, this national tragedy. You know, it's just I mean th- th- I guess that's what happens. Like we live day to day, right? Like history doesn't wait for like oh oh, oh no I'll, no no you you finish up. I'll crash the plane the next day. You know, like you can't like. I just, I just like taking the snapshot. So showing like, yeah, the Beatles, they're up and coming. That's a lot of fun. Uh, this, this, uh, jet crashed, but no one died. And that's good. Uh, the Boston strangler, like that's terrifying. That That's like, this is, this is the world that this show exists in. And this is the episode that, uh, like we live in a world right now, throw a dart. There's, you know, like it is like, it's, it's life, right? Like, I don't know how else to get to there. Like there's going to be good and bad every single day that humans exist. And there wasn't like so many channels like we have today. So to get away from the news, like they're like, I mean, these are huge events. Um, You hopefully you could enjoy the twilight zone, but I don't know how many people are like, yeah, dad, can you turn off the news uh, and put on Twilight Zone? Because that's going <laughs> to that's gonna fill my heart with joy where the news can't. Yeah, it's just like, you know what? I'm upset about this Boston Strangler. And, oh, man, that jet almost hit all those kids. Oh, man, what's going on tonight? Oh, uh, uh, look, the guy that looks like the warden from the Shawshank Redemption hit a kid with his car. That's, that's a feel-good story. All right. radio silence (laughs) yeah right so all right let's just get into um cast and crew here because that's all i got for day and date all right so our director uh is uh 
John Burham? Burham? Brom. Brom. I think it's Brom. Okay, yeah, we'll go with that. Um, this is one of twi- uh, 12 Twilight Zone uh, uh, directorials. Um, so I'm not going to list them all here, but uh, the ones that stood out to me is uh, Time Enough at Last, mm-hmm. Judgment Night, Mirror Image, the new exhibit, and then we have one more this season that's coming up. Yeah, the new exhibit was one of your favorite episodes from season four, so I'm glad that we oh, got some. It's terrific. Yeah, we got some John I, Brown back in here. Uh, Time enough at last is like the most icon- one of the most iconic episodes of uh, uh, Burgess Meredith with like you know him and you know, like, my glasses. Or he didn't say that, but you know everybody believes that's what he said. And by everybody, I mean me. Um, and he also one of my favorite episodes from season two that it's like I don't know why this episode isn't talked about like enough because it's great. It's called shadow play it's it's really goddamn cool it has this weaver in it it's a really great episode uh john brahm is like one of these like like you 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 trust you trust uh that he's going you're in good hands with him right so like i when i saw he directed this episode after knowing now digging into this i was like okay like at least like you got somebody that like like that gets it and knows what's going on um so yeah, like I, I, it's a shame that we didn't get more from him, but yeah, like uh, time enough last is iconic. The new exhibit, like be- one of the better episodes of season four. Um, yeah, he's 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 one of the like one of the good like you know pillars of being a director of the Twilight Zone. Yeah, definitely, and I think that uh, you know he's made some of the most uh, iconic episodes for the series. Yeah, um, and I I just have to note this one here too uh, as one of his credits. I keep on seeing this in a lot of uh, the directors and like uh, cast members' uh, credits. Uh, Naked Sis- City, fifteen episodes of Naked City. I just i I had to look it up, dude. I'm like, I keep on seeing this show pop up in the IMDb. I'm like, what the hell is Naked City? Because it just sounds ridiculous, and it's just another cop show. Like it's just it's, that's all it is. It's like uh like the events of like I don't know. I don't even know what city I have to look it up again, but either way, no, I was no, like, but it's I, like the idea is be like, is the city naked or are the cops naked? I don't know either way, you know, you know? Yeah. Just, I was like, I, I just have to talk about it briefly. I know it's not as fascinating well, as it is in my mind, well, they, but they did a reboot on that on in Cinemax called raw justice. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> <laughs> That's not it true. Was made by Canon. Yeah. 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 <laughs> just, uh, a little, little different. Like they're like silk stockings is like too tame. We got to go with some raw justice. <laughs> there you go. Um, <laughs> Hashtag so, uh, raw justice. Oh, please continue. Like that's uh, yeah. And as you had said earlier, uh, our writer on this episode is the returning Earl Hamner Jr. So Hamner! He's back. Uh, <laughs> I have to always just shake my fist and just like yell at the sky every time Hamner shows up. Uh, to give some uh, context of like where we are on the series, he has three more episodes to come. So, uh, yeah, aren't you excited? No, <laughs> uh, and also he writes the very last episode. I've mentioned this previously of the series, so I'm like, man, I just you know, I the last episode of the series is called the Bewitching Pool. You, you just hope it's not like a like a wet fart of an episode, please, <laughs> please, you know, like. Give us something good to go out on, right? That's what I'm hoping. Hamner, come on, get your get your goddamn life together, please. Give us something. That's the standards I hold everything up to. It's like I just hope this isn't a wet fart of a wet fart. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, so, so also I got to throw out, this one was also produced by uh, William Frog, who we talked about previously on 90 Years Without Slumbering. He also did Ring-A-Ding Girl. Uh, another one of these guys that I don't know if he quite got it, but I think uh, John Brom steered the ship okay with this. So, And stock music, I want to throw out by Jerry Goldsmith. I, I want to, I think, did, did some of this music sound like it came from um, uh, Printer's Devil with like the ticking clock thing going on? Yeah, a little bit. I, I yeah. did catch that. Yeah, so worthy of note. So anyway, let's get into this um, this cast here. Okay, so our first cast member here, we got Edward Andrews. Uh, he plays Oliver Pope. Uh, he did one other episode of The Twilight Zone, Third from the Sun. Yeah, he was kind of the antagonist in that. I forgot until I looked at the notes here. Like In terms of the cast and crew, he played a guy named Carling, and there's just a bit, it's amazing in that episode, where he is like peeking into the basement of like the main character, and you just see his eyes with the horn rim glasses looking through a window, and it's amazing, where he's just being like that nebby, nebby neighbor suspecting that like something's going on. So I'd forgotten about him. It was good to see him again. Uh, I, what I have here for a note for him, and, and you can uh, add on to this, uh, his stark white hair, imposing build, and horn rim glasses added to the type of roles he received as he was often cast as an ornery boss, a cagey businessman, or other officious types. That's why I call him the father of the warden from the Shawshank Redemption. That's a, that's some good, uh, um, what is that? The descriptions there yeah. for him. I, I, I guess I can, I can see that. Um, he also must've just played some like, uh, I guess typecast old man roles because he was in 16 candles. I think he's the grandfather. Yeah. He's that was one of his last roles. You're right. Like one of the last, uh, he, he looked older than his age. Like he was like, I want to believe he was like, he was thirties when he was in this episode and he does not look like that. No, I, he did look like, I don't know. He looked like a grandpa to me in this episode. I don't know. <laughs> But, uh, and then, yeah, he was also in Gremlins as well. That was his last, yeah, last crowd was Gremlins. He was an episode of Playoffs 90, so that's what I got for him. All right, so on we go. So Helen Westcott, uh, Westcott, whatever. Westcott, uh, I think it's Westcott. Westcott. Um, so she uh, plays Lillian, uh, Mr. Oliver Pope's wife in this. Um, the only credit that I recognize from her is uh, she was in Abbott and Costello Meet. Dr. Seuss or Dr. Seuss, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. <laughs> that's, that, I want to believe that. I, I want to believe that having a Costello would be like, I just, he wants the green eggs and ham. It's like, no, he doesn't. His name's Sam. I am. It's like, I would love, there would have been like a, like a who's on first with them. Just like Susie and rhymes. This is the greatest thing I've like. Thank you. That's a, a I, wonderful image. Uh, yeah, I think that probably would have been an even more fascinating movie to watch. Watch Abbott and Costello meet Dr. Seuss meets <laughs> Mr. Hyde. Yeah, that would have been awesome. <laughs> well, it's funny because so so just to spoil this here, that the episode called You Drive is actually a play on um, an old Hertz. Uh, um, was it Hertz? Um it was Hertz or another rental company. Yeah, it was Hertz. Uh, there was a rental uh, campaign at the time called You Drives, like the capital U and the word drives. Uh, Abbott and Costello actually turned that into a sketch like that was similar to Who's On First about You Drive. So that's funny that you brought that in. So there we go. There's a connection to this episode that, that you know, it's all connected. And But I love the idea that Abbott and Costello meet Dr. Seuss. I love that. I, yeah, I... My brain is a little like off tonight, folks. I'm sorry. So yeah, hopefully I can catch up with it. (laughs) Well, the only thing I have from her is like, I was looking like I didn't, I didn't find them meeting Dr. Seuss, but I do have, 
1958, it was a TV film called Tales of Frankenstein. Uh, I don't know if it's like just a Frankenstein film or if it's the anthology where Frankenstein just talks like, sorry, is it the doctor or the monster? But if it's the doctor, he'd be like, Hey, um, I, here's a couple experience experiments I had. They didn't turn out so well. And if it's the monster, I hope it's all variations on the theme of fire is bad. That would be great. I, <laughs> I, I, I would watch either one of them. <laughs> so there you go. That's what I have for her, for Helen Westcott. Yeah, so that's all I had as well. So uh, on we go. So Kevin uh, Hagen. Yeah. Hagen. Yeah, I can't read names. Uh, so it's uh, he plays Pete Radcliffe. Uh, one other appearance in the Twilight Zone, Elegy. Yeah, one of, one, of the, one of the best first season episodes, straight up. Uh, 113 episodes of Little House on the Prairie, uh, which I feel like wouldn't exist if we didn't have uh, the Waltons which was created by Hamner. Like, I feel like, uh, there wouldn't have been like that wholesome, like down home, like pioneering spirit garbage shows if it wasn't for Hamner. Um, but yeah, Hey, Kevin Hagan, uh, you know, maze bones, uh, with a lot of episodes of little house on the prairie and also an appearance on Hawaiian. Eye. Woot. Glad we got it, man. There you go. So we can't get a series of them apparently. Cause I think it, we didn't get any, no, we got some last time. Yeah. Either way. It's the running joke. Um, but yeah, so uh, next we have Toddy Ames. Uh, she plays Muriel uh, Hastings. Uh, nothing much else. Like that. <laughs> I, I think she's the witness that is like, she's like the Lisa Loeb uh, looking person over the shoulder of the cop that points out things going on. Uh, five credits total. So whatever. That's all I got for her. But I like that her name's Toddy. I don't know if that's sh- like short for like, what, like, you know what I mean? Like you always, you see somebody's like, you're like oh, okay. Like, oh, their name is like, you know, kitty or cat. And you're like, okay, I can figure that out. But it's like, Toddy, what is that? I don't, Tabitha? I have no idea. Uh, uh, like Tottingham. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. I, I, I'll <laughs> never be able to figure it out. But, uh, so, uh, John, uh, Hankin, Hank, I don't know. Hankin. Hannick. It looks like Hannick. Hannick. I don't know. Hannick. Yeah. So he plays a police officer in this. Nothing much else there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're, this is real good radio now. So, uh, (laughs) six credits total, like, but yeah, I didn't recognize anything. Um, so I also have Michael, uh, Gorfrain as Timmy Danvers as the, the, uh, the paper boy only credit. The only reason we're going to deep dive here is because, uh, did you get the last credit? Yes, I did this time. Please reveal the glory. That is this. All right. So I finally get to talk about him. Yay. Robert McCord. He's back again. This is, yeah, he plays Passerby. Yes. This is one of 32 episodes that this gentleman has appeared in. Yeah. Um, credit to him, man. Like he was the, he was the guy in the back pocket, like for the casting every time. Well, and then we even talked about, uh, with 90 years without slumbering, that he was like the uncredited, uh, stand in for Edwin to talk to himself. So you could, you could even argue that like, so this is his 28th of 32, uh, episodes. You could argue that, you know, it's 33 because of the uncredited one, but I put in my notes here, 28 of 32, collect them all like Robert McCord, the young son hero of uh, the twilight zone. And I was excited to see him appear again. He also was, sorry, I should take that back. There, he also was uncredited in um, a, a, a kind of stopwatch where he was like doing the inserts, holding the watch. So he showed up more than he's credited in the series. So Robert McGord, Robert McGord, Robert McCord, uh, like the tie that binds. So hooray. 
Yay! So we we're getting closer and closer to his run too. So that's going to break uh, my heart. His run, that's going to break my heart that I can't like. It's like a Where's Waldo of like Where's the Robert McCord? It's going to be sad. But all right, uh, let's just get into Sterling talking about you drive. Uh, uh, just let everybody know it's a, one of these weird ones that split. So if the audio sounds a little odd, uh, it's Sterling talking, and then some action happens, and there's more talking, and we'll we'll get into that here in a moment. Portrait of a nervous man, Oliver Pope by name office manager by profession a man beset by life's problems his job his salary the competition to get ahead obviously mr pope's mind is not on his driving oliver pope businessman turned killer on a rain-soaked street in the early evening of just another day during just another drive home from the office the victim a kid on a bicycle lying injured near death but mr pope hasn't time for the victim his only concern is for himself oliver pope hit-and-run driver, just arrived at a crossroad in his life, and he's chosen the wrong turn. The hit occurred in the world he knows, but the run will lead him straight into the Twilight Zone. A wrong turn heading south. No. Uh, so, so yeah. Um, yeah, let's, just, let's get into this. Uh, this episode looks different than any other episode in the Twilight Zone for a couple of reasons. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh- can't wait until you can you explain that one because I I don't know if I'm I'm sure about what you're you're well, gonna get into we, on that. Like but. so, a lot of these a lot of the episodes you see were shot like on uh, sound stages and and if, unless they were shot on location in like you know uh, the little little bighorn and the big bighorn, like a lot of that was shot like out in like you know the prairie country or like you know the desert. It was this is the only one I can think of where the locations for the shooting were on actual city streets and suburbs this has a different look because you don't see like location suburb shooting outside. Okay. Yeah. And they didn't just use stock footage of cars moving around or something. <laughs> like it could have just been like, the, like a model T going down the road and they'd be like, Oh, it's, it's the suburbs, you know, whatever. But yeah, this one, this one feels distinctly of the sixties because it's actually shot in like the suburbs as opposed to like main street, downtown, wherever. So that's what I was talking about. Like it looks different. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I understand now. Uh, and I think you're right. I think this is the only time that we'll see something like this. And, the shots uh, by the car and everything. So we'll get into that though. Yeah. But so, uh, yeah, we open up to uh, Oliver driving down the road and he's not really paying attention. Like uh, Mr. Serling said, and uh, he doesn't see the, the kid on the bike that's coming up and he saw, he sideswipes him and he pulls over to the side and gets out and just looks at the kid lying on the ground. I like how he just looks at him like, <laughs> yeah, there he is <laughs> right where I left him. <laughs> he gets, gets in the car i'm not to make a joke about it but like his reaction is just like wow you got out of the car like you know what you did man well, like, no, make a joke because he's just like huh i think it's like it's one of those things where it's like that's bad but he kind of assesses the situation he's like well there's nobody in the phone booth there's nobody around i'm gonna run real weird back to my car and get the hell out of here yeah and as he is uh going back to his car we do see that there is a, a witness that we had talked about, and she tries to call him back, but of course, you know, uh, Oliver's like, "Up, oh, see you later. I got, I got things I, to do." I like, the, I like the jazzy music picks up as soon as he starts running. It's like, it's like shh, shh, music. I'm trying to get in my car. I just killed this kid, you know, like whatever. Yeah, um, but yeah, um, he just takes off. Yeah, that was a weird musical number to get back to his car. So, <laughs> whatever. 
Um, so yeah, and then uh, the next scene here is that we see Oliver. He has arrived home. He parks into his garage, and he leaves the door to the garage open, which becomes a point here in a second. But his wife is like, well, wait a minute. Why are you, why are you parking the car in the garage? He's, she's like, I thought we were going to the movies tonight. And he's like, oh, oh, well, I'm not in the mood. Uh, I have a headache or whatever. And um, as he's about to go lay down and, I guess, rest off his headache, he also explains that he's had some stress at work. He's worried about this guy, Pete who keeps on moving in on his job and you know, he's frustrated by that and he's got a headache. So uh, Lillian, his wife goes over to get him some, some aspirin or something. And when she does, she looks towards the, the garage and sees that there's flashing lights from the car. And she, she is like, well, what the hell's going on in the garage? There's somebody out there, I think. So, uh, Oliver goes to inspect and I like his first reaction when he goes into check out what's going on with the car. He just goes and looks at the lights and just starts hitting his car. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's I, fair. I, I, yeah. I mean, maybe with my wife's old ass car that is like on its last leg, maybe that's what my first reaction would be, but I don't know why he thinks that that was the right reaction. I, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. There's, there's uh, vehicles that I had, Oh, there was, um, an 88 Corolla that I owned that, uh, the, uh, the radio would drift out. Like it would just get fuzzy. And if you just bang the dash, it would come back. Like it happens, you know, like it just, there's wires, there's old cars. Um, and then when we get to like, um, the noises, the things makes later, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story about the current car that I own that I, it may be stalking me right now. I don't know. Oh, oh, well, that's scary. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but can we just talk about like, like also the set for this, like this is this house set in the suburbs. We're, I don't think we're ever going to see a layout like this again. Like it's kind of like, it's not, it's not that it's odd, but there's the kitchen and the living room. It's like, it's a very small set and there's a, there's a door that leads directly to the garage and it was open. That's why she's able to see the light coming out. Like it's a very unique looking set. I don't think we've ever seen anything like this before. Yeah, very open floor plan for uh, a house of that age. Uh, I, I I don't think we have really seen floor plans it, like that for it houses. It feels more like an efficiency apartment than the one that we saw in um, a, a drink from a certain fountain or whatever it was, a short drink from a certain fountain, where it's like, that was like the coolest apartment and it was spaced out well. And it's like, oh, here's a house. Everything's jammed into one area. Yeah, I, I, it, it, it was effective for uh, playing out these scenes. So I'm glad that they had that kind of set. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so, um, he bangs on his car for a second and the lights seem to go off, off completely. And as he's about to turn back into the house, he sees that the, the lights start flashing again. So he does the, the, the reaction, which he have should, probably should have done first and goes over to the driver's side of the car and turns the lights off. And I like how the music ends when he turns the lights off. I, too, I have so. that in my notes too. It's like, it's actually a pretty good beat of like, there's a suspense, and the moment he kills the lights, the music stops, which is pretty effective, but also like, I don't like it's good, but it's also really funny. Like, and I, I mean, I almost feel like it's purposely funny. Like it's, it's good timing. I like it. Yeah. I almost want like a, this one of these scenes of like break the fourth wall and be like, Oh, the music's done too. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like it just whips back to Sterling. Like he just winks and then comes. Uh -huh. Yeah. 
but uh, so yeah, Oliver goes back inside and says, "Hey, you know, there, there's no one out there. No one was messing with the car. It was just acting acting up, maybe faulty wiring." Lily Lillian explains, "Like, huh? I hope not because I just took it to the mechanic and paid thirty five dollars to have it all fixed up." And like, what? I mean, like that's not a concept now that you could have play out. Like you can't even get your battery tested for thirty five dollars. I don't think. I mean, I understand it's like sixty years <laughs> later, right? I didn't do the conversion, but like they did a tune up. Like I don't know about you, it's like I understand that that's supposed to be a thing. Other than getting like your oil changed and then like if something's dropping out of the bottom of your car, have you ever done a tune up? Like I never have. No, I don't. I mean, they suggested obviously, but I, a tune up is like not something I hold a, hold on to a car long enough to. I get done, I guess. <laughs> well, no, it's just more like, Oh, I see that, you know, all these belts are about to fall apart. I'm like, are they still running? They're like, yeah, I'll come back to you when they fall out. <laughs> I will spend <laughs> my, the money when applicable. On the road. Yeah. Like I, like I have a rear wiper on my car that I've like, it's a 2009 vehicle that I bought a couple years later. And I, I have, I, I have not changed the wiper blade on the rear window. Um, the, the actual rubber part started to come off like just like in the last like couple months. And then I went to go close my, uh, my hatch and it actually fell off and I'm like, all right, now it's time to replace it. <laughs> so that tell that just tells you where I'm just like, I like, I don't do a lot of preventative maintenance because I don't know. It's not ingrained in me, but like oil changes and things that make sense. Um, but I'm more like, oh, that's a weird noise. I should go take it in as opposed to a yearly checkup. Maybe I'm a bad car owner. I, I don't know, man. I, I don't either, but whatever. Um, I guess I'm a little bit better about it now that my wife helps sell cars. So that, it, but, fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. Um, so yeah. And then, um, <laughs> this so car Lillian, hasn't killed any kids. You should buy it right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, Lillian asks if he had seen the newspaper when he was coming in. And of course, you know, he, uh, he, he, he hasn't because guess what? <laughs> the guy he hit was the newspaper boy and he's late to drop off the paper. <laughs> yeah. I like that. She's like, Oh, he's late for some reason. And Holly's like, nah, that's weird. <laughs> like It goes back like, Oh yeah. And then that's when we get to, uh, what was it? Um, him calling like, like anonymously to try to find out like what happened. Right. Like he almost, almost at first you feel like he's like calling in like, Oh, I know what happened, but it was more like, Oh, I know the kid. What's the status. So he's like, he's just like the spineless piece of shit that won't um, even report the hit and run and give any details to try to at least try to do something right. But he just wants to know, because I think he wants to be let off the hook if the kid's still alive. Yeah, almost like to validate that he didn't do anything wrong because the dude's, he's okay and everything. Yeah. Like, oh. But he didn't get that reaction, or at least we don't see that reaction. We don't hear whoever's on the phone with him, but the way his like the way that he is um, conversing with that person, it doesn't sound good. Um, so yeah, he, he hangs up, whatever. And then, um, he goes to sleep and later on, it's what three in the morning. I believe the, the clock says at that moment, mm-hmm. um, they hear, uh, the horn of his car going off and Lillian says, Hey, you know, like what the hell's going on? Go check it out. And he goes down, to see if maybe somebody is uh, messing with the car or something. And there's no one in there, but the horn just keeps on going off. So um, he reaches into the, the hood and rips out the wires to the horn. And as he does that, the, the hood 
comes down and almost chops his hands off. Yeah, it's effective. Um, like, it, it, like it's it's like uh, he he stops the horn, but he rips out the wire, like you said, and then like the hood comes down, and that plays better for me. Like in hindsight, like his reaction, he's just like he just runs out of the garage. Uh, that's that's what I was going to talk about. Like I um I have some kind of like. I have um, a messed up wire in the front of my car that like I can't close my hood all the way. Like it latches, it's safe. It's not going to fly up like Tommy Boy style as I drive <laughs> down the road. But if I close all the way, it causes this issue where like my car now like it will sound like the the stealing alarm noise. Like and it's like one of those things I had to learn after a while. Like just just you have like I don't know about you, but like when you you own a car long enough, you learn it's kind of, you learn it's like it like it's um you know. You, like there's certain things you can and can't do with certain cars. And now it's like, I know that if I close my hood completely, my horn's going to fire off randomly in the middle of the night. It's going to piss me off. <laughs> like, so, um, it might, it might be trying to talk aloud about how maybe I murdered a paper boy and wasn't aware of it. I don't know, but I've, uh, definitely, uh, I've definitely shut it up. Yeah. I, I, I've had piece of crap cars in the past, so they never done that. So, but they do other things. So hopefully not chase me down um, but yeah, anyways, <laughs> yeah. but so the next morning, um, we see at breakfast that, uh, Lillian is, um, talking to Oliver about how she read in the paper that, uh, the kids, he might, he might actually die from the injuries and that they, there was a witness to the hit and run. Uh, they know that it's a male at least. And of course you can see that the expression on Oliver, Oliver's face is like, Oh shit! Something bad's gonna happen here now. Like I, you know, he he's understanding that probably his days are numbered in a sense here because he's probably gonna have a murder charge on his uh, hands here soon enough. Um. So you know, he says that he's not feeling well and that he's gonna call off of work. And so he goes to lay down on the couch. And uh, so Lily Lillian decides like, all right, enough's enough. Got to figure out what's going on in the car. And she, she takes it to go get looked at. Yeah. I just like that. Like she ends up at the intersection that it's not, it's not directly implied, but if you look at everything, it's the same intersection where the accident happened, right? Like you see the phone booth, you see everything, the car won't turn. It just stops. It just stalls in the middle of the intersection. And I like, there's the bit where all the cars pull up and everyone's honking at her. And she's like, no, 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 no. And then she just leaves the car and walks to the payphone. Like, <laughs> I don't know about you, but it's like, like, um, I, you know, I don't like, I, I get that. Like you want to like, you know, call, call your spouse and say, here's what's going on. But it's like, um, you know, that's still in the middle of an intersection. Like maybe get the car out of the intersection first before you call your spouse. Just throwing it out there. Yeah. Throw it in neutral, have somebody push it out of the way, you know, and, and, and let everybody else get up on their day. Well, it's like, it's I, like mean, I know it's super heavy Detroit steel, but I'm going to guess a couple couple people would help you get it out of the intersection. Just throw that out there. I mean, yeah, I, did, I think everybody needs to get going, get to wherever they need to be. I think it might be a good idea to get the car out of there. However, that might have to happen. Let's get it going. But I like how all these people just keep on honking at her. <laughs> like, there's obviously a problem. So why are you being a dick right now? Like, <laughs> just like ask her what the problem is. Don't just continue to honk. 
<laughs> yeah, I also want to point out too that like power steering wasn't a thing then. Like, so for her to not be able to turn that wheel is significant because like like you already had to kind of wrench the wheel anyway to get turning, right? Like you had to put some muscle in that. And it was like, oh well, the power steering, like sorry, the steering's out and I can't even move. Like, come on, anybody there, like they had to be sympathetic and be like, all right, well, all right this is an older vehicle. Let's get out of the way. But I like that when she's like talking to Ollie in the background, you see like the police officer come over and like get in the car and try to start it. <laughs> like, it was like basically like, I don't know, like something's wrong here. But whenever she calls out like the intersection that the car stalled at, like Ollie gets like kind of like he gets, he gets worried because it's the same spot where the kid got hit. Right. And then when he finds out about the cops being there, he's like, well, wait, what were they doing there? It's like, well, they're just, Apparently they're sitting there waiting for yeah. the the criminal to return to the scene of the crime. I'm like, this is the next day. Why would they return to the scene of the crime? It's not like the kid's going to be still laying there on the road. <laughs> I, I like the I idea just, that I, they're like, oh, those sickos that hit paper boys. You know, they just come back to see what happens. You know, it, what I mean, what would be significant about going back to the scene of the crime? I, I just, uh, it's not like your typical like rob the bank and see like who's watching later or setting fire to a house. Like it's different. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, it was, it was just the police looking out for like, it was a prostitution ring. People hang out at that phone booth for reasons. We're not going to get into it right now. They're, you know what? Here, here, Terry, here's the revelation. They were looking for a ring a ding girl at that phone booth. There we go. Now we figured it out. Yeah, that's, that's good. <laughs> it's not good, but that's my theory. So anyway, let's go forward, please. So, um, so yeah, he, when he finds out about all this, he gets distressed, um, some more and, um, he, well, she ends up showing back home. Right. And she's like, listen, the car didn't work. It's, I had to take it to the shop. Like it just, here's what's going on. He's like, oh, and that's why the cops were here. Right. So the whole thing at that time. And then that's whenever, um, like they find out that's what I played at the beginning. It's like the car starts honking in the garage and she, he's like, what she's like i dropped the car off he's like it's back like what happened and she's like i don't know and then before they could even get into it that's whenever uh uh someone shows up at the front door which i like i like that line um i almost i clipped that almost for the end of the episode but i did not is where um oliver's like oh whoever it is just um tell him i'm not here and she's like why he's like oh i just you know i I just don't want to see people. <laughs> like it was like the way he said it, it was like, Oh, I'm guilty, but I don't want to look at anybody right now. She's like, okay, that's fine. Like I've had a doozy of a day here. So yeah. like, give me a break. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we find out that it's Pete at the front door and, uh, he wants to come in and talk to Oliver for a moment. He tells him, Hey, you know, buddy, I, I know you've probably been going through some stuff. So I helped you out and I took care of some of the, the work, the workload that was on your desk. And it's, infuriates um oliver because he knows at least in the back of his mind that pete's probably gunning for his job yeah so he you know he he leans into him a little bit about leaving his work alone leaving like well enough uh alone so he can just like move on do your own job don't worry about mine so pete's obviously upset and right before he takes off, I like how he goes like three feet away from <laughs> Oliver. <laughs> like, like Ollie, he, he, he was lying on, um, 
on the couch acting like like he was like suffering from like a flu bug or something, right? And then after he get, like launches into Pete, he's like, oh, you know, I'll just get out of here. And then like then Oliver just turns over like I said good day, you know, type of thing, right? Like and then you're right. Like Peter gets up and walks three feet away. And he's like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Like it's like what is this? What is this Shakespeare like soliloquy? Like what's going on here? Like. Yeah, just fade Oliver into the be- into the black and the it's like like, a single spotlight was- on Peter and uh, Lillian. Yeah, yeah, and so you know she apologizes for for Oliver's actions and that, and and Pete's like, well, you know, I'm kind of upset anyways too because I knew the kid that was hit uh, by the 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 driver the other day or yesterday rather, and he's like, comes over and used to play with my my kid and that and. You know, it's just, it, it sucks. I'm upset about it. And it's like, and then that's when he explains that the kids, he died. He died, died an hour before, um, he got there. But so I, like, I like how they, like, they, they piled on about how like Knight's kid is like, Oh, he's the sweetest, nicest kid in the world. Like, I believe he was like the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, like he was just trying to help his mother. Like they don't know who his father is. He was, you know, he's just a car. He just did some carpentry and some paper delivery. That's not what happened. But it was like, they made this kid sound like them. Like, not that I'm saying that like, regardless of this kid was valued or not, he shouldn't have been hit by this driver and left for dead. But they're also like, yeah, he was going to be nominated for like times kid of the year. Like it was, they kept like just adding on, like, you know, like just, yeah, this, this scene is probably the most forced in the entire episode to me. Um, I, I think they probably could have played this one out a little bit better. I mean, even if they had a second room off to the side where Oliver stormed away to that room, but it's still like hearing listening. the yeah. conversation. Yeah. So, I like that. He just turns over. He says, Oh, <laughs> it's like, Oh, I can hear everything going on right now. Like, yeah, you're right. Like maybe a little bit of separation would have been, uh, would have been nice. Yeah. I, it, but whatever, it's not a, it's not a huge deal. No. But either way, um, so Pete ends up leaving, and uh, as he's driving down the road, um, we see that there the 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 young lady that was had witnessed the uh, hit and run is talking to a, a motorcycle cop, just sitting there. Like so, I'm like, is she just been hanging out with this motorcycle cop all day, just waiting for this supposed criminal to come back to the scene of the crime just so you can falsely identify somebody else. Cause that's what happened to me. It, like <laughs> this was, the, this was the backdoor pilot of chips. We don't, we didn't know that until now. No. Um, that was young Eric Estrada on that motorcycle. That is not true, but yeah, like, like what was going on? And also like, did you, did you see that there's a distinct difference in car shapes between Peter's car and Oliver's car? Like his is like, I don't know. It's like, you have to look at the, like if you go back and look at the episode, like his, his uh, Peter's car is a little bit more, the model is it's a little older looking with it's more, I I can't uh, tell the difference, but like they're, they're different, like body shapes completely. And well, he has the fin, uh, um, Oliver's car has the fins on the back. Yeah. His, his, his is more like, like it almost looks like a Ford Fairlane or some shit. Right. Like, and this one, other one looks like a Mercury or something. I, I, I can't, I can't put my finger on it, but they look different. Yeah, distinctly different. Yes, and, and, and the fact that this lady is like, I, she's able to identify Pete as Oliver. There's a clear difference in what they look like too. So I, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I'd just be like, oh, what was the car that got away? Oh, I'm pretty sure it was a Kia Soul. And it's like, oh, what car are you looking at right now? It's like, 
oh, well, that's a Buick Enclave. It's like, those are different looking vehicles. Like, sure, you know, whatever. Like, it's like one of them, one of them has murder in their eyes for hitting a paper boy. Let's just, let's just sign them up, right? Yeah, it was weird. It was really weird. I, I just don't understand. Like, there, there was, they should, they should have at least made the two actors look a little bit more similar or That's the fair. cars look more similar or, or just give him the same car. Like it wouldn't, we wouldn't have thought twice about it. Right. So yeah. anyways, um, when she identifies uh, Pete as the, the killer, um, you know, the motorcycle sh- a cop chases him down and like, lets him know like, Hey, you were uh, positively identified as the, the hit and run driver from yesterday. So he's taken into custody, and this is reported in the newspaper that um, we see Oliver reading in the next scene. And he explains like to Lillian, like, hey, you know, this was Pete. I guess I'm not going to have any more problems with this dude at work. Yeah, like his entire, uh, he's upbeat. Um, like, everything's good for him. And I wrote my notes here. It's like, looks like he, til- he killed two kids with one car. You know, like, just just working it out. Like it's all, everything's coming up Pete right now. It's not Pete. Sorry. Ollie. Everything's going up Ollie right now. Yeah. It's, it's like, all right, well now we got the scapegoat in place to take the fall for the, the hit and run. And, uh, Hey, I don't have to worry about Pete taking my job anymore. So sweet. Like uh, it is one of the two birds, one stone mentality here. Yeah, no, so. Two kids, one and car. He, That's what I keep. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so I, we, we see that Ollie kind of has like this new, uh, newfound uh, mm. um, enthusiasm. We get, he has a smile on his face, like cool. We're we're back to we're back to a uh, you know a good life here. Um, so yeah. Um, so later, after reading the paper, um, there are some more sounds coming from the garage. When he goes to check it out, um, the bumper of his car just falls onto the ground. And when he goes to like investigate it a little bit closer. That's when you hear hear the, the the car trying to start like kick over, and it scares the crap out of him. So he 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 runs out of the garage again. Like this is not a good spot for him. The garage. <laughs> no, he runs out like like him and Telly Savalas should have a lot in common about getting the hell out of garages. You know, like like this so, is not yeah. a place you want to be. Right. So we see that he goes to bed later and uh, is woken up in the middle of the night again by loud music uh, playing. And so his wife is like, well, where's it coming from? And he goes to the window and he thinks it's coming from across the street or something. Well, okay. Let, let, let me pull, let me, you know, he knows it's not coming across the street, right? Like he, he play acts where he's like, Hey, keep it down over there. Like credit, credit to the actor that he, like his guilt. And he knows that this is coming from his garage, but he's trying to make his wife feel like, like feel safe. He's like, Oh, they didn't hear me. Like, He's play acting that he knows that this loud music is coming from his garage and he's terrified to admit it. I wish he would have been shaking his fist because it would have looked a little bit more theatrical. Like I'll tell them, yeah, get off my lawn. Um, but yeah, so he knows it's not coming from outside. He says, well, you know, they must not be able to hear me. So it goes down to the garage where the music is actually coming from. And when he opens the garage door, that's when the music actually ends. And there's the the news report that comes on the radio, and it's talking about the the hit and run accident and how Pete has been taken into custody because he was a uh, uh, positively identified as the hitter, the hitter, the driver, the um, hitter, the the hitter. <laughs> Not to be confused with the shitters. Yeah. Um, oh, we're gonna talk about that in a little bit. That's that's a teaser for uh, 
uh, cars that have their own agenda. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. So, yeah. So he, uh, he tries to turn off the radio, uh, and it, it comes back on. So, well, I'll get you. So he grabs a hammer. (laughs) (laughs) It smashes the radio and then the lights are flickering. So he might as well smash those too. And then the horn starts going. So he goes in and he bangs on something in there. Um, (laughs) I just like, he's just, what it's just escalating further and further. It's like next you're going to see him ripping apart uh, the the uh, seats with a knife. Um, you'll see him. You'll see him like putting a tube in the gas tank and just like you know, like get out. Yeah, be like, <laughs> and just like just siphoning out the gas to make sure the car can't move, and then like flattening the tires, you know, and then like you know whatever. I'll take your lifeblood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ugh, leaded. All right. So yeah, no, but he yeah he like. He, it's, you could tell that like, he's to the point where obviously before he was taking actions of trying to like, like he even talks about like selling the car and getting rid of it. And we'll talk about that more in a second. Um, but yeah, like he, he knows that this car keeps acting up, uh, that isn't like, it's a reaction to his guilt and also to his, uh, like his ability to get away with things, right? This is, this is, um, the telltale heart. It's the car. Yeah, that's a good call. I didn't make that uh, that association, but that that's that's spot on. Um, but yeah, so the next morning he tells Lillian like, "Hey, I'm gonna walk to work, you know, or <laughs> I'm gonna take the bus or whatever." Yeah. yeah, she's like, "But why?" He's like, "Ah, you know, I don't trust that car." It's like he's being very literal. He's like, "I don't trust that car." <laughs> <laughs> and I just beat the crap out of it too. Yeah, I have yeah, no yeah, radio, yeah. so there's no point. Um, <laughs> there's no so tunes. Like, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, he says, I'll, I'll see you later, whatever, and he starts off down the street. Well, it's at that moment <laughs> that the garage door opens up, and then the, the car just starts backing out on its own. <laughs> I mean, is that not great, but also ridiculous? It is, but, you know, we'll, we'll get to why I actually dig this. Okay. But, um, but, yeah, like, the car takes off down the street, uh, like, kind of following aside him. <laughs> and and of course Oliver looks over and sees this unmanned car just keeping pace with him, and so he tr- he tries to juke it, you know. Like well, at first, first very- before he does like the juke, he tries to like act normal, like oh this yeah. car that's not there's nobody driving is just following me, ah, la di da, just a normal day in suburbia, no big deal, like. <laughs> Like, like credit also to the sea. Like it's really, it's really entertaining. Cause like there's the, 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 there's an insert shot of seeing the wheel. Like you, you're, you're looking from like the driver's side of the car internally looking out at Ollie and you see him kind of reactive, like, Oh shit, my car's following me. And he tries to pick up his pace. Like that's actually kind of fun. No, it's, it is really fun. I was laughing at this point. So but yeah, they, he's like, all right, well, that's not working. So he does his best Barry Sanders impression and <laughs> jukes, yeah. jukes the car. And oh, like I thought you were going to say OJ Simpson because we talked about Hertz earlier. But yeah, Barry Sanders is better. Yes, please. Yeah, it, it, yeah, I don't think he has a criminal record, but um, <laughs> but I, that's fair. He, uh, Barry Sanders has not killed anybody to my knowledge, so that's 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 valid. So, um, so he he runs through some backyards or whatever, and he somehow still ends up to be like almost sideswiped by the car on a different road. Um, so I, I thought that was a good, like little, um, cat and mouse game that the car is playing here. And he is able to put some distance between him and the car. 
only to fall down on the road and almost have his head uh, run over by the car. It's a good shot. The stops right there. That's a really good shot. So uh, let's talk about that for a second, right? Like that actually looks really effective, right? And it's actually a... um, it's actually a rever- it's a reverse shot. So they actually filmed that backwards. They filmed, you know, with um, the actor in the foreground and him reacting and then the car pulling away at fast speed. But when you flip it forward, it, it, it doesn't it doesn't give that weird like reverse effect that you get sometimes with those type of shots. Like it's really effective. So credit to John Brom to figure that out. I love shots like this, too, because it's so simplistic and you get exactly what you need out of the shot and they did a really good job with it yeah really effective. so yeah so you know the car just sits there for a second and it opens up its passenger door passenger door uh basically to tell oliver like get your ass in we're going somewhere and after a few seconds we see that the car is taking him to the police station just opens the door for itself again and lets uh, Oliver out to the police station where he, <laughs> if he could, if he could have walked in like a sulking kid to like, <laughs> to, to be like reprimanded by a teacher, this would have been the look to have like had the, because the, he just the like, sad Charlie Brown the, with the, the piano playing. Yeah. Yeah. I got a rock. Um, <laughs> I killed yeah, a so, kid. Yeah. So there it. you go. That's our scene. That's, that's your episode. So, all right, before we get into some of the, the quotes from uh, Mr. Hamner. Hamner! They'll never get old for me. Um, uh, what what'd you think about this episode? Like, um, I, I think I think you're going to land on this a little bit more favorably myself, but what'd you think about it? Okay, so I, I like killer car movies. One of my favorite movies uh, of all time is Christine. Mm-hmm. And there are some great shots in this that remind me so much of the movie. I mean, the movie came out in 83. Um, but you know, I had never seen this episode and I thoroughly enjoyed it because of a lot of other killer car movies that I have seen. Like I like uh, maximum overdrive, not a great movie, but it's a killer car movie. I, uh, yes. I, that would agree with both those statements. Yes. <laughs> and, and like duel duel is another great film. Yeah. So I mean like those, they, they fit in the same wheelhouse for me because the car is, it, it has a clear message. It has clear motivation and, I just, I mean, there are a few like bad choices in this episode, but overall, I really enjoyed this episode because of those things. Well, even the third segment when we talked about nightmares uh, with Lance Henderson with um, that the truck, devil car, yeah, that was following him around. That's effective as well, right? And then, I mean, you and I, after I uh, had my um, violent uh, swear-filled outrage about this episode while making food the other night, we talked all about Christine. Like that, this is the proto Christine in a lot in a lot of ways of like. Um, the car still functional. It has an agenda, uh, though the headlights are still damaged. The bumper comes back and it still is able to like drive around and taunt him. Like, uh, it's like, you almost, you almost wish that when they played the party music in this episode, that would have been like, keep a knocking and you can't come in playing to torment Ollie. Right. That would have been like this through line for that. And Christine. And it's also, I think, like I said, I think it's a Ford Fairline. So I, I think that, the body shapes are similar and you can't tell me that a young King didn't see this and that it wasn't like in the back of his head. Sometimes you can't tell me that I like clearly he, he ate all this stuff up as as well. He should, because it was cool shit at the time. Yeah. I mean, I, you could, I, 
I can't see how you couldn't uh, draw those kinds of conclusions. I think that he probably did see this and was like, this is awesome. I think I can really extrapolate this storyline and make it something even more captivating. And like, there's different motivations, obviously, for Christine. Um, yes. But I loved I loved where this episode was going. Like, I think it was I think it was well done I for the most part. Most yeah, I just okay. So, um, do we want the Hamner quotes first, or the connection to Strange Highways first? Where do you, where do you want to go with this? Let's hit. Let's get those uh, quotes. All right, let's get some Hamner quotes. All right. So, all right. First Hamner quote here. Um, yeah, this will actually talk about the genesis of the episode, which I think is actually pretty effective. All right. Uh, writer Earl Hamner Jr. told Phil Max Magazine uh, interviewer told Tony Al. Alba Barra. I'm going to mess that up. Anyway, I believe the gist of the story came from reading um, about a child who had been killed by a hit and run driver. I guess it was an expression of my anger and a way for me in fantasy um, to bring the guilty party to justice. So fair enough. That feels kind of in uh, his wheelhouse of uh, like, you know, like mystical coming alive and without explanation. All right. So then second thing here. Um, this is also a quote from Hamner. All mechanical things frustrate me. I'm like my friend, uh, John McGreevy, the writer who once cut himself with a sponge. All right. Well, that's weird. I'm, I'm sorry that you and your friends cut your, you can't trust sponges, whatever. That's weird. I'm afraid of an inept with all mechanical devices. It's a kind of love hate relationship. I drive a Corvette, which I love because it's a, it's so at odds with the image of John boy Walton talking about the, um, the Waltons. Um, and of course it's a stunning machine, but at the same time, I do not trust it. It seems to have a life of its own. And sometimes when it's, when it will not start, I suspect, I suspect it's because it has some personal grudge against me. So I think those two statements together kind of, kind of really put this together where you have Hamner upset that somebody did a hit and run and got away with it. And he felt like that person need to be brought to justice rightfully. So, and also his inherent distrust of technology even though he loves the excess and success that he's able to afford a Corvette, which kudos to him, you know, the Waltons was big. Right. But I also feel like everybody was kind of looking at him and be like, he wrote the Waltons. Aren't you a little bit more Spartan? He's like, Nope, I have a Corvette. It's pretty great, but I don't trust it. Like that all kind of lines up. It kind of makes sense to me. Yeah. That, that it worked out well too. Uh, you know, especially because, you know, I think, at least so far, and I'm calling my shot here, I think this is one of the, the more memorable episodes of this season so far for me. Fair enough. All right. So uh, the other the other bit of trivia, this is not like anything big, but like so when I was kicking the tires, so to speak, on uh, creating this podcast, I ended up uh, watching a few episodes in advance to kind of kind of come up with like some uh, – like, uh, like what we, we call them, um, oh, just getting like, uh, quotes and like, um, bits to make like intros, right? Like, like not bumpers, but it's just, you want to listen to episodes, you get quotes, whatever. That's how you put things together. I was like, I'll watch an episode about a car, you know, car that is like haunting its owner. That'd be cool because the show's called strange highways. It's dealing with driving, whatever. Maybe there's some quotes there that I could pull together for an intro. Uh, so I watched this one, uh, sight unseen, uh, what so five years ago when originally kind of coming together with the concept of the show. Um, and it left me really kind of cold. I'm like, really, this is where we're at with this. I didn't really care for it at the time. So this has been the albatross that's been hanging on over me since we started the show. Cause I'm like, I know that you drive is coming in season five. And I'm like, ah, that episode, 
uh, and there was a couple others I watched um, prior to uh, completing the intro and getting the show started proper. The other one I remember off the top of my head was the passers by from season two, I believe uh, that. So I also knew that we're going to see the ghost of Abraham Lincoln show up. So there were certain things I knew were coming. I was always kind of dreading this episode and then watching it for the second time, it still left me a little cold, but I'll give, I'll, I'll give this to you, Terry, for as much like this being memorable and me judging on its own merits. It's not bad watching a third time to, to get notes and put together audio for this. Um, I just kind of got over the bad taste I had like three years ago and watched it on its own. And I will say that um, for Hamner being this guy that always kind of comes in with like, it doesn't matter how this happens. Just watch the story. This is one of the stronger ones that we've gotten so far for the series. Yeah, and I think that's completely fair, and I think we we definitely erased the slate a little bit when it came to his last uh, effort. So I, I, this put a better taste in my mouth than the last episode. Yeah, did, no, so. this the least at least this gave a, a genesis for, and I, I said that in the quote, and then I said that word before reading the quote about like, oh, this guy did a bad thing with this car, and now the car is like being this harbinger, right? Of like you need to do the right thing. I'm going to torment you like that, that, that makes more, that feels like a Stephen King short story to me, right? Like that feels right in line of like bad person did bad thing. Object is going to like, I, I said the telltale heart. I didn't even think about that until we started recording this episode, but that's what it feels like to me. Like this is the, the, the guilt that's bleeding out and a sounding off to everybody. And like, even whenever the car comes back for the shop and the shop calls says, your car's not here anymore. It's like, well, it's here. So they, they, they had the car. It disappeared. So it physically like left and came back. That is scary. And then I like how he's like, you're not getting paid. Like fair enough. Um, it just, it kept coming back, you know? And like, I dig that. I just, I wish that, the execution of the script is a little better, but it's not bad. It's it. This episode's this episode's perfectly okay and it has some cool imagery. Let me just say yeah. that. That the fundamentals of the episode and the storytelling in it are, uh, I think, pretty sound. But you know, there are a few choices. It's like, all right, well, maybe that could have changed it up a little bit. Yeah. Or, like we were talking about the scene where Pete is in the house uh, talking to uh, Oliver's wife. I. Those just felt so forced, um, but you know, like overall, all right, I, I, I dig it. Yeah. So, all right. So that's going to do it for our. Uh, well, actually, we got to rate the twist because um, you know it, we, it would not be an episode of Strange Highways if we didn't rate that twist. Uh, that the car would bring him to justice. I don't. I don't know how I'd rate them. We give that to you because I like I said. I spoiler. I'd seen this previously. To bring him to justice, I will give that like a three. To to have an episode called "You Drive" and he hits a kid in the beginning of the episode, I think there was going to be some payback sooner or later. So I'll <laughs> give that a one. There, I think there's two twists in here. the The overall twist, though, getting to the police station, like the car just didn't kill him. Yeah, I'll give that a three. Fair enough. And I even need to talk about the technical side of how they figured out a way to actually make the car operate with like nobody in the driver's seat. And they talked about how they set it up where there was somebody like laying down in the back seat and like they did all these like with mirrors and things and the guy could drive it. And I, I just like the idea there was talk about how like one of the back lots, they sent this car out just to drive. Like how great would that be 
if you know if you know what's going on, but to see people like like not paying attention to see like this car just driving around without a driver in the passenger sorry the driver's seat, that would have been a lot of fun that day. Really good engineering on yes. that because I, I like that they were actually able to show the car with nobody sitting seated in the in the car driving yeah. it. Very effective. Like, and uh, I'm gonna it wasn't John Brom that made the ultimate decision to do the reverse shot. It was George George T. Clemens, who's done a lot of the he was the, the director of photography for a number of Twilight Zone episodes. Like effective ways to show this and make the car intimidating. Like uh, you know. There's something about those older vehicles that like they talk about how like the front of a car, um, there's subconsciously people see a face like there's something there and it works. Yeah, there's plenty of storylines that have done it, too, like yeah. very well, like the car, too. I forget to say the car. That's oh, well, that, you know why I didn't mention? I've not seen it. That's an omission of mine. That's a, that's a glaring omission. I've not seen the car. Uh, well, I haven't seen it in years, but uh, the the imagery is iconic. I mean, just look up the. Just look up pictures of the front of that car. That car yeah. just looks mean. <laughs> Fair enough. So yeah, all right. Um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll give you that twist. Like the first time I saw it, like the the idea that the car would stop and not actually kill uh, Oliver and be like, because you almost feel like if this was updated, it would be him running and then getting hit by the car at the same location where he hit the kid, and then the car would go back home, and then no one would understand what happened. Like that almost feels like that would have been more in line with what we know as like a modern storytelling sensibility. But the fact that the car is like, nope, I'm not going to kill you, but I am going to drive you to the police station. Like that's weirdly wholesome. And that feels very much within like uh Hamner's like uh worldview. Yeah. I, I, I like the the choices that they made with that, with that scenario instead of killing them. So it worked out to be a good choice in gen- in general because of like the driving home, the, lots of episodes of the twilight zone have messages. And this is along that same line of trying to teach you something. Yeah. Fair enough. So, all right. Uh, yeah, that's going to do it for episode. Um, so let's, uh, if you guys, you want to find us on uh, it's on our Facebook, uh, we have strange highways. Um, uh, you guys can uh, react to the episode. Let us know what you think. Um, you guys can email us directly at strange highways podcast at uh, gmail.com. Uh, wherever you find your podcast, rate and review us. And uh, Terry, what other social media and other ways to find us are out there? Uh, so we're uh, we're on Instagram, uh, blasting lots of fun pictures from episodes, uh, trying to interact with people as much as possible. Uh, we're, uh, we are Strange Highways Podcast on there. Uh, and you can listen to us on other formats too. If you could, please, if you go to like something like if you're listening on uh, Podbean, go ahead and Find out how to rate us on there, or if you're listening on to another uh, format, go ahead and rate us on there. We'd love some feedback. We'd love to hear how you guys feel about uh, certain episodes and you know our, our views on it. Maybe you don't agree with us. Maybe you do. Maybe you think this is the best episode ever. Tell us. Yeah. So, all right. That's going to do it for our discussion about you drive. Um, next episode we're getting into is uh, The Long Morrow. Uh, let Mr. Sterling uh, tell us what that's supposed to be about. And now, Mr. Sterling. Next on the Twilight Zone, a rather probing study of ice, irony, and the ionosphere. A show titled The Long Morrow. It stars Robert Lansing and Mariette Hartley, and it tells the story of an incredible trip into space with the sole occupant of the craft living in suspended animation. This one is for space addicts and the romantically inclined. On the Twilight Zone, The Long Morrow. So are you a space addict or romantically inclined? Which of the two are you? You, can't, you can only be one or the other. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to have to go with Space Addict. 
I'm romantically inclined because I believe in love. Like, no, I don't know. Anyway, so, all right. That, yeah, the long morrows uh, next time. Everybody have a good week. Have a safe week. Uh, don't hit people with cars because cars will, um, I guess, uh, animate and uh, bring you to justice, which is a good thing. But just don't hit people with cars. I think that's fair. And uh, make sure that you don't smash every part of your car. with breakfast in bed. Oh, I'm not an invalid, Lil, and I'm not hungry either. <laughs>